Greetings and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, we'll talk about what's happening with Betelgeuse and then turn our attention to Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. As always, I'll cover the latest astronomical news and review the visibility of the moon and planets for the next 10 days. First off, Happy New Year! I hope 2020 brings you clear skies. Secondly, my apologies. I'm a little late with this episode. I was going to blame the holiday season, but truthfully, that's not the only reason. I write content for a company called High Point Scientific in my spare time, and I had a last minute guide to write for them. By the way, and this isn't a paid commercial, if you're looking to expand your equipment collection, I highly recommend High Point. I've ordered a lot of different things from a lot of different companies over the years, but High Point is one of the few companies I've seen that has a rating of 4.8 stars out of 5 on Google reviews. And they have a lot of reviews too. But one thing you won't need equipment for is the star Betelgeuse. It's been in the astronomical news recently because it's gotten fainter. A lot fainter. In fact, by some accounts, it's at its faintest since accurate records have begun. So what's happening? Well, Betelgeuse is a red supergiant star some 600 light years away. It's nearing the end of its life and could, in theory, explode as a supernova at almost any time. There's obviously been a lot of speculation that this could be about to happen. Realistically, while it's not impossible to rule out, it's unlikely to happen right now. Betelgeuse is a well-known variable star, which means its brightness, or magnitude, varies from time to time anyway. For example, it's usually the second brightest star in the constellation of Orion, with Rigel being the brightest but occasionally Betelgeuse will flare up and become the brightest for a while. On average, the star typically shines at about magnitude 0.5 and is usually ranked the 11th brightest star in the sky. However, over the past few months, it's dimmed a full magnitude to just 1.5 and dropped in rank by 10 spots. It's now ranked the 21st brightest star in the sky. Quite a change for such a short period of time. Truth is, no one's quite sure what's happening. The star is known to have two cycles, a 5.9 year cycle and a 425 day cycle, during which the star appears to change in brightness. It's been noted that we're currently at the minimum of both cycles, hence a greater than usual drop in brightness. But what if it had actually blew? What would we see? Well, the star would suddenly shine at an estimated magnitude of minus 10. In comparison, Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, shines at minus 1.4. Venus at roughly minus 4.1 and the full moon at minus 12.7. It would easily cast shadows at night and be visible during the day, probably for months. After that, it will probably fade from naked eye visibility completely. And as for Orion, well that constellation will be changed forever. In the meantime, we can still enjoy the star in the evening sky throughout the winter and at least part of the spring. So take a look, for tomorrow the sky might be changed forever. It was pretty quiet on the news front over the holidays. That all changed with the 235th annual meeting of the American Astronomical Society. Running from January 4th to the 8th in Honolulu, which must have been tough, there's been a bunch of stories over the past few days. So let's have a quick look. Astronomers have found a young star surrounded by an astonishing mass of gas. The star, called 49 Ceti, is 40 million years old and conventional theories of planet formation predict that the gas should have disappeared by that age. There are two theories to explain the discovery. 
It could be the remnant gas that survived the dissipation process in the final phase of planet formation, but there are no theoretical models to explain how so much gas could have persisted for so long. The other possibility is that the gas was released by the collisions of small bodies like comets, but the number of collisions needed to explain the large amount of gas around 49 Ceti is too large to be accommodated in current theories, leaving the discovery to prompt a reconsideration of the planet formation models. NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, also known as TESS, has discovered its first Earth-sized planet in the star's habitable zone. The range of distances where conditions may be just right to allow the presence of liquid water on the surface. Scientists confirmed the find, called TO1700D, using NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope and have modeled the planet's potential environments to help inform future observations. Using NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory, astronomers have seen that the famous giant black hole in Messier 87 is propelling particles at speeds greater than 99% of the speed of light. The first image of a black hole at the center of Messier 87 was released last April. This black hole has a mass of about 6.5 billion times that of the Sun and is located about 55 million light years from the Earth. Astronomers have announced that the binary star, V T will explode as a very bright nova by the end of the century. V T is a star system consisting of an ordinary star in a binary orbit around a white dwarf star, where the normal star's mass is slowly falling onto the white dwarf. Currently, the faint star V uh, T in the constellation of Sagitta is barely visible even in mid-sized telescopes. Over the next few decades, the star will brighten rapidly, but around the year 2083, all of the mass from the companion star will fall onto the white dwarf. At that point, the companion star will explode, becoming as bright as Sirius, the brightest star visible in the night sky. During this time of eruption, V Sagitta will be the most luminous star in the Milky Way galaxy. On April 25, 2019, the LIGO-Livingston Observatory picked up what appeared to be gravitational ripples from a collision of two neutron stars. This would be only the second time this type of event has ever been observed in gravitational waves. The first such ob observation, which took place in August of 2017, made history for being the first time that both gravitational waves and light were detected from the same cosmic event. The April 25th merger, by contrast, did not result in any light being detected. However, through an analysis of the gravitational wave data alone, researchers have learned that the collision produced an object with an unusually high mass. Astronomers have identified several overlapping bubbles of hydrogen gas ionized by the stars in the early galaxies, a mere 680 million years after the Big Bang. This is the earliest direct evidence from the period when the first generation of stars formed and began re-ionizing the hydrogen gas that permeated the universe. There was a period in the very early universe, known as the Cosmic Dark Ages, when elementary particles formed in the Big Bang had combined to form neutral hydrogen, but no stars or galaxies existed yet to light up the universe. This period began less than half a million years after the Big Bang and ended with the formation of the first stars. While this stage in the evolution of our universe is indicated by the computer simulations, direct evidence to date has been sparse. Astronomers seeking to learn about the mechanisms that formed massive black holes in the early history of the universe have gained important new clues with the discovery of 13 such black holes in dwarf galaxies less than a billion light years from the Earth. These dwarf galaxies, 
more than 100 times less massive than our own Milky Way, are among the smallest galaxies known to host massive black holes. The scientists expect that the black holes in these smaller galaxies average about 400,000 times the mass of the Sun. Lastly, new research shows that lava flows on Venus may be only a few years old, suggesting that Venus could be volcanically active today, making it the only planet in our solar system other than the Earth with recent eruptions. Radar imaging from NASA's Magellan spacecraft in the early 1990s revealed Venus, our neighboring planet, to be a world of volcanoes and extensive lava flows. In the 2000s, the European Space Agency's Venus Express Orbiter shed new light on volcanism on Venus by measuring the amount of infrared light emitted from parts of Venus's surface. These new data allowed scientists to identify fresh versus altered lava flows on the surface of Venus. The new results suggest that some lava flows on Venus are very young, which would imply that Venus does indeed have active volcanoes. Planet-wise, it's a pretty quiet period for the middle of the month. Mercury was in conjunction with the Sun on the 10th, and now Saturn follows, just three days after, on the 13th. That means, of course, that neither planet is visible. Likewise, Jupiter is also lost within the Sun's glare and has yet to emerge into the pre-dawn sky. So that leaves Venus, Mars, Uranus and Neptune. Venus continues to shine brilliantly for two to three hours after sunset and is an unmistakable sight over the southwestern horizon after sunset. Turn a telescope toward it and you will see the planet looks like a gibbous moon. It's about 14 arc seconds in apparent diameter, it is currently 78% illuminated and glows at an impressive magnitude minus 4.0. It'll grow larger and brighter until it reaches its maximum magnitude of minus 4.5 in mid-April. Uranus and Neptune are faint, and while Uranus can sometimes be glimpsed with the naked eye, typically both require at least a pair of binoculars to see them. Uranus can be found in Aries, and sets at around 1.30 in the morning. Neptune is rapidly losing ground to the Sun, and will only be visible for about another month at best. The big blue planet sets at around 9.30 in the evening. Mars is now rising about 3 hours before the Sun, but at a dull magnitude 1.5, it's not a spectacular sight yet. Look forward as it passes close to Antares, the brightest star in the constellation of Scorpius, around the 17th. The star is named Antares because it has a similar colour to the red planet. Its name literally means rival of Aries, the Greek name for the planet Mars. Take the opportunity to compare the brightness and the colours. Then, three days later, on the 20th, have a look in the pre-dawn sky for the waning crescent moon. It'll appear close to the pair that morning. As for the moon itself, it'll reach last quarter on the 17th. Look for it in the pre-dawn sky that morning. It'll appear close to Speaker, the brightest star in the constellation of Virgo the Virgin. It turns new one week later on the 24th. While we're waiting for Betelgeuse to explode, there's another unmistakably bright star to be seen. Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, is currently at its best and can be easily seen on any clear night, and from almost any location in the world. Besides being easily seen, it's also very easily found. Okay, so you could go outside and simply look for the brightest star, but if you don't know anything about astronomy, you might be staring at Venus by mistake. If you're familiar with Orion, unfortunately even a lot of non-astronomers are, you can find Sirius using the three stars of Orion's belt. So from the northern hemisphere, if you draw a line down from these stars you'll arrive at Sirius. 
If you're in the southern hemisphere, you can find the star by drawing the same line upwards. If you know anything about astronomy, you'll know that a star's brightness is me measured by its magnitude. This system is thought to have originated with the Greek astronomer Hipparchus way back in the 2nd century BC. Back then, there were no telescopes and you could only stare at the stars with just your eyes. The stars were scored from brightest to faintest with the brightest stars rated magnitude 1 and the faintest, at the very edge of naked eye visibility, rated magnitude 6. The system has been refined over the years, with the current definitions formalized in the mid-19th century. Incidentally, you're probably also familiar with the term magnitude as it relates to earthquakes. That scale was defined by Charles Francis Richter. An amateur astronomer, he got the idea and the term from astronomy. Nowadays, the brightest objects have a magnitude below zero. For example, the sun typically shines at about magnitude minus 26, while the full moon is about minus 12. Venus, the brightest planet and the third brightest natural object in the sky, shines at about minus 4.5. Incidentally, there is no upper or lower magnitude limit. The Sun is the brightest object in our sky, but the Hubble Space Telescope can see objects as faint as magnitude 30. If you have excellent eyesight and very clear dark skies, you could potentially see to magnitude 6 or 7. Regular 10x50 binoculars can see objects of about magnitude 11, while large amateur telescopes could potentially reach objects of around magnitude 16. Sirius, in comparison, shines at about minus 1.5. Put this into context, the difference between each magnitude is about 250%. In other words, a star of magnitude 1 is about 2.5 times brighter than a star of magnitude 2. Since Venus is about magnitude minus 4.5, and Sirius is about magnitude minus 1.5, there's about three magnitudes between them. This means Venus, the brightest planet, is about seven and a half times brighter than Sirius, the brightest star. Sirius is currently rising a few hours after sunset, so you'll be able to see it rising in the southeast as the sky gets dark. It'll be due south at around 11.15pm, so you've got plenty of time to have a look at it. And what will you see? To be honest, not a lot. It appears as a brilliant white point of light to the naked eye, and always makes you think of a diamond glinting in the dark. Sirius is only 8.6 light years away, which makes it one of our closest stellar neighbours. In fact, in astronomical terms, Sirius and our Sun are practically roommates. Its closeness partly explains why it's the brightest star in our sky. It'll move closer to us over the next 60,000 years before starting to recede again, but will keep the title of the brightest star for another 200,000 years or so. Despite this, even with a telescope you're not likely to see much. Sirius has a small white dwarf companion that's notoriously difficult to spot. The problem is that it's too faint, it's too close to Sirius itself, and Sirius is too bright. It's like trying to spot a candle next to a spotlight from 5 miles away. So while some observers have been lucky enough to see it with a scope as small as 8 inches, realistically you probably need something twice that size. And who says size doesn't matter? On the plus side, your chances of spotting the star are improving. The White Dwarf Companion takes about 50 years to orbit Sirius, and from our point of view, it's currently moving away from the star. The gap between them will continue to widen and will be at its greatest in 2025. There will still be a wide gap until about 2037, but from that point on, it'll rapidly start to close again. Whether you have a telescope or not, take a few moments to admire Sirius tonight. Battle G's might explode tomorrow, 
altering our view of the night sky forever, but Sirius will still be there long after Battle Jesus died and faded from view. At some point in the future, its final days will come, but for the rest of our lifetime, this diamond in the sky is forever. Here's this episode's trivia question. You can get over 700 like it from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book, which is available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle formats. So here it is. The star Sirius is the brightest star in which constellation? Is it A. Canis Major, the Great Dog, B. Orion the Hunter, C. Taurus the Bull, or D. Auriga the Charioteer? As always, I'll give you the answer in just a few moments. Welcome back. The answer to a trivia question is A. Canis Major, the Great Dog. The constellation represents one of Orion's hunting hounds and faithfully follows his master across the sky. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, and I hope you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find stars and stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. Again, if you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-us in the United States and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-uk in the United Kingdom. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. Thanks for listening. And until we talk again, clear skies to you.